In a world full of lies and deception, it takes courage to speak truth. In a nation half-bent on its own destruction, it takes honor to seek a return to glory. Join us in Cutting Through the Lies and Propaganda. It's time for Cutting Through the Chaos on the America Out Loud Network. Here is your host, Wallace Garneau. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Episode 2 of Cutting Through the Chaos. I'm your host, Wally Garneau, and we've got a great show for you today. I've got a couple of very important topics we're going to go over. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, California and its homelessness crisis, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the defamation lawsuits brought by E. Jean Carroll. Of course, she was awarded $85 million, so we'll get into that. Uh, we may even get into a little about the ongoing standoff at the border. Uh, before we do, I want to start with a segment that I'm going to call News That's Not in the News. This will be stories that either should be in the news and are not, or in some cases I may even throw in some false news that is in the news. Uh, and if it is, I'll tell you why it's false. So that's our first segment. We're going to talk about news that is not in the news. The first piece of news that is not in the news, this should be getting reported everywhere. I mean, you can imagine what would happen if Donald Trump has said this. So Nancy Pelosi had some protesters at her house. They were protesting the, the, the war in Israel. They want a ceasefire. And Nancy Pelosi yelled at them, Get off my lawn! Go back to China where your headquarters is! And uh, it, it made a little bit of a splash in the news, but only on conservative sources. And you can imagine uh, CNN, nothing. You know, MSNBC, nothing. Nancy Pelosi can do absolutely nothing wrong with these people. So, of course, they're not going to go out there and talk about Nancy Pelosi calling everybody that does not want the war in Israel to continue, uh, calling all of them Chinese, I guess, I don't know, telling them not just to get off her law, but telling them, go back to China, where you come from, I guess. You know, if, if Trump had said something like that, uh, it's, it, it would be everywhere. You would not be able to get away from that story. The media would make that the end of his political career. But Nancy Pelosi, she didn't just say it, she screamed it. And uh, nothing. It was not a news story at all. So first piece of news out in the news. Uh, next piece of news not in the news. This is actually a week old, but it's such a such a, a great example of just how bad these kinds of things are, fact-checking that is, that I had to bring it up. President Biden took a picture in Wisconsin with a bunch of construction workers. He was in the back of the picture, big old smile on his face, wearing a construction hat. And on the construction hat, this big black band in the middle of his forehead. Uh, people realized, you know what a construction hat is. If you've ever worn one, you would have known immediately. He had the thing on backwards. So he was smiling with the construction hat on backwards. And people began saying that he had the construction hat on backwards. And Snopes came out saying, no, that's just what construction hats look like. He actually has it on normal. He's actually wearing it forward. There is nothing wrong with the way this president is wearing a construction hat. Well, that was such a ludicrous fact check that Snopes, that's, they had a year, a week ago, roughly. It was such a ludicrous fact check that Snopes actually had to correct their fact check. They fact checked their fact check and found themselves false and said, yeah, I guess he really did have it on backwards after all. Uh, President Biden apparently doesn't know how to wear a construction hat. Maybe when he was, uh, what are some of the stories he's told in the past about his working career in Scranton? Uh, he told truck drivers, he was once a truck driver, uh, he said something about storming the beach at at, uh, at D-Day once. Of course, he wasn't even alive when D-Day happened. 
uh, referred once to meeting to to being arrested trying to see uh, Nelson Mandela, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he even utilized World War II. And then it, the guy says these things that are just crazy, that are just stupid. He just says whatever he feels like. Uh, he, he doesn't care whether or not it's true. Just stupid things come out of his mouth, and in this case, the hat was on backwards. And go figure, the fact check had to fact check itself and declare itself wrong. From MSN. They ran an article on climate change in which they said climate change has already killed more than 4 million people. More than 4 million people have died as a direct result of, of climate change. Uh, I read the article and I found this in the first. This is fake news, by the way. This is fake news that is in the news portrayed as real news, that 4 million people have died. So the first paragraph of that article reads, in the early 2000s, as climate denialism was infecting political institutions around the world like a malevolent plague, an Australian epidemiologist named Anthony McMichael took on a peculiar and morbid scientific question. How many people are being killed by climate change? McMichael's research team tallied up how many lives have been lost to diarrheal disease, malnutrition, malaria, cardiovascular disease, which is, of course, a proxy for heat-related illness, and flooding worldwide in the year 2000. The researchers then used computer modeling to parse out the percentage of those deaths that were attributable to climate change. Climate change, they estimated, was responsible for 166,000 lives lost that year, and they meant that year alone. So what they're doing is they're saying, well, we're losing 166,000 lives to climate change. If we figure that to all the years that climate change... What they did is they, they, they speculate from that 166,000 lives lost that year that 4 million have been lost overall. Now, why is this problematic? Well, it's problematic because the most accurate of the computer models used to predict future global warming is also the one that predicts the least warming. Now, there's over 100 of these models. They're looking at these things all the time. They've, they've, they've been using most of these for over 50 years. So it's not like we don't have any historic data to compare against the models and see how accurate those models have been for, you know, say, the last 50 years in some cases. I think all of the ones they're using are at least 40. Some of them are even 50 years old. So we've got a pretty good baseline of predictive data that then we also have real data, and we can compare it to the actual climate data over the same period. And uh, if we look at the model that predicts the least warming to gauge how many lives climate change has lost, or has caused, how many people have died because of climate change, that is, uh, we'd see it's a very small number, a minuscule number. As a matter of fact, the truth is that the number of climate-related deaths of all types are at an all-time low and still dropping. But what, the, what the, the study did, and I put study in quotation marks, is they took climate change data from the models that are not the most predictive, but that are the most alarmist. And they utilized those to predict or to, to estimate much larger losses of life due to climate change than actually occurred. By using models that overpredict the warming, they can also overpredict the number of deaths that have been caused by it. So I consider that fake news. Uh, there has been global warming. It's not alarmist by any stretch of the imagination. If you look at the actual science, the amount of warming is actually kind of trivial. Uh, and it has not killed 4 million people. That's just absolutely ridiculous. But yet that was in the news. So there we have fake news in the news. Some more news not in the news. British Columbia, according to the NationalPost.com, which is a Canadian 
newspaper or a Canadian news source. And I bring up can, uh, Canadian stuff because it hits Canada first. And then, you know, the big difference between Gavin Newsom and uh, Justin Trudeau is, is generally the amount of hair gel that they use. Uh, what happens in Canada tends to, tends to make it into California. And from there, it starts making it through the country. So I pay attention to what happens in Canada. I think it's important that we all do. But according to NationalPost.com, the government of British Columbia has decided that in addition to passing out condoms in schools and mutilating the genitals of children, it also wishes to make fentanyl available to them as well. And as always, parents get absolutely no say in the matter. They're handing the fentanyl out in schools. They call it safer fentanyl. It's not safe because there's no such thing as safe fentanyl, but they consider it to be safer fentanyl than the kids may get on the streets. And since kids may like fentanyl, they are now handing it out in schools to anybody who wants it. Uh, the crazy thing about this is that fentanyl is the leading cause of death in the United States for men under 40. I think when I was a kid, it was drowning. Now fentanyl is the leading cause of death for men under 40. So it's killing people. You know, I think 100,000 people a year in the United States. Canada's having problems too. Their solution to all these deaths from fentanyl is to give it to kids in their schools. Crazy as that may sound, that's what they're doing. As if that's not crazy enough, also from our friends to the north, according to, again, the National Post, a Canadian news organization, uh, their MAID program, which stands for Medically Assisted Death, is becoming available for children. Assisted Suicide. When I was in high school, there was a big battle about that. Jeffrey Kravorkin, I believe his name was, was assisting people in suicide. The right to death, as they called it. And that was a big, big, big news story. Well, he wasn't doing it to kids. In Canada now, they have made it so, you know, a doctor can tell you, I might be able to get you in to see what's causing that pain in six months, but if you'd like me to kill you, I can do that much sooner. Now they're able to tell this to children as well, or they're working toward being able to tell this to children as well where rather than treating the kids, they can just offer them the option of being put to death. In Arizona, Jeff DeWitt, who was at the time the Arizona GOP chairman, offered Carrie Lake a bribe to drop out of the 2024 Senate race, telling her that powerful interests out east want someone more amenable to their globalist anti-American agenda to win the Republican primary. Carrie Lake currently, by the way, is leading by about six points. He offered to let her name her price and insinuated that it would be dangerous for her not to be bought off. How do we know this is true? I didn't see this in the news. I actually saw this on YouTube because Carrie Lake was smart enough to tape the conversation. The guy showed up at her house to talk to her about this. And she had the wherewithal to tape the conversation. And now that conversation has gone public. Jeff DeWitt has since resigned, uh, but you can bet that his replacement is also owned. Uh, powerful interests out east, incidentally, own the country, and by extension, they own the people in it. Uh, not only that, but your unelected owners don't give a rat's ass what you want or what you think. The fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is that they have threatened Carrie Lake now to drop out of the of the race, and she is an exceptional person for turning the attempted bribe down and then going to the public with it, letting us know she was literally given an offer she can't refuse. I mean, how many people have that kind of integrity? People say that she lied about what was going on in Arizona. Well, you might have believed that before now, but this is proof. You know, she taped it. They, they would not want to, they would not bribe her out of the election if there wasn't a reason to do so. And the reason is that she can expose a lot of things. So how many people have her kind of integrity? Well, not many. California. 
California now wants a 20-hour minimum wage for fast food workers. That may sound like a good idea, California being so prohibitively expensive. But let's face facts, that's going to force a lot of small players that cannot compete with McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's, or, or In-N-Out, it's going to force them out of business. Because you're going to have the big players that can afford to avoid paying $20 an hour by having fewer employees, or I believe McDonald's now hall actually has, I know Wendy's does, I saw one, actually have uh, restaurants now that don't have any employees. Everything that happens is automatic. So in addition to reducing the need for labor by getting rid of people, uh, you're also making it so that smaller players cannot compete with larger players, and you're making it virtually impossible. How do you start a, a, a fast food restaurant in California if you have to pay $20 an hour and have to compete with companies that can afford not to have any employees? Well, the answer is you can't. Uh, moving on to Toronto, back over to our friends up north. I'd like to give a congratulations to Nicholas Sapita, also known as Melanie Weishart, for winning the 13- to 14-year-old girls' Pan Am swimming competition in Toronto at a young 50 years of age. When not competing as prepubescent girls, Nicholas Sapita is a professor at the University of Toronto. Nicholas Sapita did not share what he is a professor of, but he did say he specializes in children and youth. I would also like to commend Pan Am for barring a girl from competing on her 15th birthday for being too old while allowing a 50-year-old man to compete. If that's not an exemplary example of fairness in girls' sports, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what is. And of course, I'm being facetious when I say it like that. What this guy did is reprehensible. But Canada, uh, they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place where they only report this at the local level. They don't want it to be a major story because this sort of thing makes a lot of people very understandably angry, and yet they want to champion it. So what do they do? They report it in a small article in Toronto. MSN.com picked it up so we could read about it in the United States, but it never went national in Canada. So they're, they're dancing this little line where, yes, we want to congratulate Nicholas Sapita. We want to champion this, this heroic individual who at 50 years of age is competing against 13- and 14-year-old girls. Well, there's nothing champion about Nicholas Sapita. He's a sick old man. Uh, but they're, it's, it's just interesting seeing how they're crafting this when on the one hand they want to champion him as, as this heroic individual, uh, and on the other hand he's a pedophile and they don't want to spread it to the public. So they're trying to dance this weird line. Uh, CBN Israel ran a, a news article the other day in which they showed very conclusively that a part of the United Nations was directly involved in the attack Hamas did on October 7th. So the UN now has people that are employed by the UN that were directly involved. I don't believe they took weaponry and went into Israel, but they helped Hamas plan and, and coordinate those attacks. So now we have the United Nations being directly involved in those attacks. And finally, the last piece of news, not in the news, New York City Mayor Eric Adams is calling social media an environmental toxin, those are his words, that must be regulated. Uh, he's saying that children experience things on social media in terms of bullying, in terms of whatever, and that uh, this is very, very dangerous, and as a consequence, we need to regulate social media. Government needs to have a very active presence on social media uh, in terms of what content is allowed, what content is not allowed. It's, this is his full-form censorship. If we can't have a truth commission because Republicans in Congress won't allow Joe Biden to decide what is true and to act accordingly, of course, what is true 
is in his best interest. And what is not in his best interest is not true, no matter how true it is. Well, since that fell through, now uh, mayor of New York City is saying that we need to do it to protect our children. Now, if you can't do it because you want to win elections, it's always, my God, man, think of the children. So that's our segment, News Not in the News. If uh, you see something that is news that's not in the news or something that is clearly fake news, now, I obviously, it's hard for me to find news that is not in the news. Uh, and it's hard for me to sometimes to see all the fake news out there. But if you like this segment, you see something you think qualifies. I only know about these things because people communicate with me about them. I have a very large presence on Facebook. So sometimes some of my followers will shoot me something and say, hey, Wally, did you see this? And uh, so I see these things from local stories that, that, don't, that should go national but don't. You see something you think qualifies, you know, shoot me a note through the America Out Loud Network. Uh, maybe you'll see it on the air the next week. Moving on into segment one, I'd like to talk about California and its never-ending homelessness problem. The fact of the matter is that California never will end homelessness. They never will make a dent in homelessness. Uh, they spend more and more money on homelessness every year, and uh, it's never going to go away. It actually can't go away. It's impossible for California to make homelessness any less in California because they've created an entire industry of government entities and nonprofits to address it. And all of those organizations employ people. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, I don't have a number for how many people. I tried to figure out, you know, Google different things. And you tried to get some kind of a, of a report that says, that, that says how many people are in this particular industry. I couldn't find it. Uh, they don't list, for example, how many people uh, working for the government specifically work in relation to programs that help to address homelessness, or how many nonprofit organizations, different parts of the government that deal with homelessness, how many of them they, they, they partner with and, and pay, uh, and how many people those, those organizations employ. So I have absolutely no idea how many people are working in this industry, but it's a very, very large number. Uh, in L.A., just as one example, they're spending more than $200,000 every year for every homeless person. And, of course, in L.A., not only does the cost of handling a homeless person, of taking care of a homeless person, or I shouldn't say taking care of because they don't actually take very good care of them, I should say the cost of addressing a homeless person, uh, that value grows every year. So right now it's about $204,000 every year. It'll probably be per person about 10% more next year. And in addition to that, there will be about 10% more homeless people next year. Now, you would think that you could just take the $200,000 and give each homeless person the money. And now not only aren't they homeless anymore, but now all of a sudden there's some of the richer individuals in, in California. You know, I give it to a, to a couple, maybe a married couple who are both homeless, and you're talking you know, $400,000 a year, to be more exact, 408. If they have a couple of kids, you know, you start you can very easily, you know, you, you start pushing a million dollars. You have a little couple of family members, you know, everybody's getting $204,000 a year. All of a sudden, you could be uh, a homeless millionaire. Uh, of course, very little of that money actually goes to the homeless people. Most of it goes to pay the salaries of all of the people working to address homelessness, all of the people working for government programs to address homelessness, all of the people working for all the nonprofit organizations to address homelessness. 
very little of that money goes to the actual homeless because by the time you pay all of the people whose job it is to act on homelessness, you don't have a lot of money left. These companies, however, they're all seeing massive growth. And that massive growth, as, as they grow homelessness, as, as, the, as the homelessness industry, which isn't the people who are homeless, but the people who are paid to deal with it, as the homelessness industry in L.A. continues to grow and throughout California continues to grow, homelessness in L.A. continues to grow at about 10% per year. That causes more money to be spent on homelessness every single year. And since the industry grows through growth in homelessness, all of the spending on homelessness in California, it's not making homelessness better. It's actually making the problem worse. And the crazy thing is that while there is some graft and corruption in this system, and of course there is, anytime the government gets involved, hell, even with just private businesses, there's always some level of graft and corruption. I worked for a company, uh, I won't divulge what company it was, but the CEO, or the president of the company, he got a bonus based upon making shipping targets every quarter. So at the end of the quarter, if he shipped a certain amount of goods, a product measured in dollars, he'd get a bonus. Well, if he was below that level, if he was, say, maybe he's, he needs another $10,000 in shipping, or maybe he needs $20,000 in shipping, and we're getting into the last few days of the quarter, we would start taking exceptional steps to try to meet those metrics. I actually once was asked by him to fill, I had at the time, I think, a little red Ford Ranger. He asked me to fill the back of the pickup truck with product and drop it off at UPS. And uh, he told me, you know, when you're done, you've got a company card, take your wife out to eat, and uh, it's on us. That is, is, is a thank you for, for bringing this product to UPS. Well, the reason I, he needed me to bring it to UPS was that UPS had already been there, and if it doesn't leave the company, he can't count it as shipped. So I actually shipped it for him, dropped it off at UPS for him. He was able to input it as shipped. That got him over the metric, and he made his money. Uh, he would also, uh, sometimes when he went on vacations, he would take his family and, and just visit a customer and then, you know, write off, not his whole family's part of the vacation, but write off all of his as a business expense. So there's always graft and corruption. And he wasn't a corrupt guy. He was actually a very nice guy. I don't mean to pick on him. It's just that there is always some graft and corruption in the system. There's always some graft and corruption in every system. But the root problem of uh, this homelessness system in California is not graft and corruption. Most of the people that are working within it, I think, truly do want to solve homelessness. There are other industries where that's not the case. You look at like the, 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 fast, the fast train to nowhere, that's all graft and corruption. But I do think with homelessness, it's not. But uh, it's just the nature of government in general. And an agency's power is based primarily on how much money it is allocated. If you, if you give it more money, if you have a larger budget, you have more power. And a politician's virtue is often measured by how generous they are in spending you know, the government money or, or our money, the tax dollar money, the, the taxpayer's money. Uh, so getting people off the street, that would reduce homelessness. And if you reduce homelessness, you're reducing the need to spend money on homelessness. Well, that requires fewer people to be employed in dealing with homelessness. And if you need fewer people employed to deal in homelessness, then uh, all of a sudden you don't need as many companies and you don't need as many agencies and they don't need as many employees to exist as a part of the homelessness industry. Well, only the homeless and the people in California that want to eliminate homelessness want to see fewer people 
the, the people that are working in these industries have a financial incentive on growing the problem. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And as a result, you know, they're spending on money on things to make homelessness easier to live with instead of making things that, uh, spending it on things that caused there being less of it. You know, free, I don't want to say free fentanyl in schools because that's not dealing with homelessness, but they have those drug programs in California where they're giving out all of the stuff you need to, to be able to shoot up heroin. And they have sites where you can get shot up for free and uh, you know, safely, as they say, for free. And well, giving people drugs may make their addiction easier and maybe you're using needles that won't give them AIDS, but really you're making homelessness easier to deal with. Programs that give blankets and, and, and you know pillows or tents, you know, that may make homelessness easier to deal with, but it doesn't get people off the streets. What gets people off the streets are programs that get them cleaned up, uh, get them some job skills, get them in front of an interview, get them a job, making you know maybe $20 an hour now at McDonald's or what have you. And you, you get people off the streets by making them take control of their lives, by putting them in a position where they can do so, and by getting them employed. None of these programs do that, though. And they don't do that because they have a giant industry that has popped up that requires homelessness to survive. And ladies and gentlemen, this is not just homelessness. This is just how government programs work, which is why when we create government agencies and programs to, quote, fix problems, those programs and agencies never actually go away. I mean, if government were at all capable of solving anything, anything at all, those programs and agencies would all be temporary. Once they solve a problem, the agencies would go away. We would not need them forever. I mean, the, think of the war on poverty. If we'd gotten rid of poverty, there would be no need to have a war on it. Well, we still have a war on poverty, and in fact, the level of poverty stopped dropping as soon as we started the war. So the agencies never go away because they never actually fix the problems that they are put in place to address. If they did, they lose their government funding and the, the, the program goes away. So they're not really in a position where they can address the problem, and as a consequence, uh, they don't. If the government were at all capable of solving anything, they wouldn't exist. It's as simple as that. So if, if we look around, you know, our government never shuts down any program or agency, in spite of the fact that the Republican Party, at least, claims in every election that they want to do just that. Now, how many programs or agencies did Trump shut down? He said he was going to get rid of Obamacare. Did he get rid of Obamacare? No, we still have Obamacare. Now, I'm not blaming Trump for that. Don't get me wrong. John McCain walked out with a, you know, a dying man, uh, walked out onto the floor of the Senate to cast a vote against getting rid of Obamacare. Not because he thought Obamacare was such a wonderful thing that we couldn't get rid of it. You know, some people have said, well, if you get rid of it, what are you going to replace it with? Well, Thomas Sowell says, it's like saying if you have cancer and you go to the doctor, the doctor says, I would like to operate and get rid of your cancer. Now, are you going to look at your doctor and say, well, if you get rid of my cancer, what are you going to replace it with? No, of course you're not going to do that. If you have a bad program, get rid of it. The free market will take care of, you know, you don't have to replace it. You don't replace bad things with other bad things. Let the free market work. Return healthcare to more of a free market system. So, you know, the, the, the point is that as much as Trump wanted to, he couldn't do it. It's not, it's not Trump's fault. He, he didn't have the backing of even other Republicans, at least not enough other Republicans, to even get that done. You know, a very narrow majority in the Senate, he... He, he, he tried to get it done. It came down to one guy, John McCain, and John McCain shot him in the back intentionally. So even Trump couldn't get rid of anything in spite of the fact that he tried to. Now, the last president to shrink the size of government in relative terms was Ronald Reagan. 
And Ronald Reagan was only able to reduce the size of government in relative terms. Ronald Reagan was not able to reduce the size of the government in, in real terms. The government was bigger when he left office than it was when he came into office. It's just that the economy had grown more than government did. So relative to GDP, he shrank the size of government. But he didn't, he didn't shrink it overall. It was bigger when he left office than when he went in. If you want to look at a president that actually shrank the size of government overall, you have to go all the way back to Dwight D. Eisenhower. Dwight D. Eisenhower shrank the size of government overall, but nobody has done that since. And other than Ronald Reagan, nobody has shrunk the size of government even relative to GDP. Trump tried, he couldn't do it. And uh, whoever we elect now, it's a very, very hard thing to do. Now, Trump, he, you know, one of the things he did wasn't just John McCain walking out the floor of the Senate and voting against it. It was, it was also that every time he tried to reduce the size of an agency or, or have agencies change the things that they do or, or even temporarily reduce the size of an agency, uh, well, he could reduce it temporarily, but as soon as, as soon as he left office, you know, Joe Biden brought him right back up where they were before. But also, all of those agencies sued Trump every time he tried to gain any access of control over them at all, or to reduce their budget, or to reduce their staff, and uh, they just sued him and tied up in court. Now, you guys might remember this, all of the court cases that federal agencies were taking up against Trump, the EPA suing Trump. You know, he was being sued left and right every time he tried to get those federal agencies under control, and the reason was that they were against his agenda. You know, so getting rid of health care was a non-starter because uh, there were too many people who were making money off of it. Our pharmaceutical industry wanted to, it was, it was, they're making out like a fat rat off of Obamacare, and, and you know, nobody wanted to get rid of no, Nobody who was in power actually truly wanted to get rid of it because there's just too much graft and corruption involved. And uh, speaking of health care, um, my, my wife and I like to do cardiovascular. We like to work out. I like to lift weights. Uh, and we have a lot of great products that can help you with your health care. So we're going to take a pause now and uh, allow our sponsors a little bit of time. Stay tuned. I've got to finish up the story here on homelessness in California, and then we're going to get on to uh, the rest of the show in, in just a moment. So stay tuned. You've all heard Dr. McCullough and others share over and over the value of keeping your sinuses cleansed. It's a smart move all year, but even more so when we're cooped up inside. It's not really open for debate any longer. Those that live smart and live well pay attention to nasal and oral hygiene. Cofix RX has just the tools for the job with our nasal and throat cleanse. Click the Cofix RX banner on AmericaOutloud.shop to get 20% off your entire order. That's right, AmericaOutloud.shop. Use coupon code OUTLOUD. That's coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off your entire order. Use CofixRx because it works. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them. From improving immune health and supporting gut health to reducing the appearance of wrinkles and even improving mind, mood, and energy. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA. We power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body 
Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Expert opinions, honest debate, and in-depth investigations are what you've come to expect from AmericaOutloud.news. We don't shy away from speaking the truth boldly and plainly. All that's missing is the propaganda that has infected legacy and social media. Get the best of down and dirty, wholesome American speak. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. gentlemen, welcome back to the America Out Loud Network. I'm Wally Garneau, and you are listening to Cutting Through the Chaos. We're still talking a little bit about homelessness in California and why uh, California can't solve that, why it's impossible, really, for California to address it the way they're trying to do it now. Uh, so we'll finish that story up, but then I really want to get into the defamation suit, everything that's going on with that. If we have time, we may even talk a little bit about... Uh, about Governor Abbott and uh, the, the spot, little spat between him and Joe Biden over the border in Texas. Uh, but getting back to homelessness in California, they can't solve it because, of course, it's just such a large industry and they can't afford to shrink the industry. It would actually have a significant impact on unemployment levels if they let, they, they let all those people that are employed in the homelessness industry go. So we shouldn't think of homelessness as a problem in California anymore. It is one, of course, and it's, it's heartless to think of it in any other way. But at the same time, it's true. When you think about homelessness, you really have to think of it as an industry. And you have to understand that it's a giant industry employing tons of people that takes all of the money spent on the industry or in the industry and spends it on the, the welfare of the people working in the industry, their salaries, their health care benefits, all of these things. And, and as a consequence, uh, all they're doing is growing the industry. They're not doing anything to grow homelessness, which is why, in spite of all of the money being spent, we see both the cost per homeless person and the number of homeless people both growing by about 10% a year. You know, it's, it's, it's exponential growth. You know, both growing by 10% a year, so they're feeding off of each other, and that's just going to keep getting more expensive until California runs out of money, I guess, until they go bankrupt. 
Uh, but if we look at other things, you know, we talk about how nothing in government works. Now, how about the EPA? Now, the EPA doesn't just continue to grow by growing pollution. That's that's not how the EPA works. The EPA actually has done, not just the EPA. I actually think I give more credit to private businesses, the corporations and things that I do to the EPA. Uh, the fact of the matter is that mankind is improving the world over time. Free markets are improving the world over time. But it's not a straight line. It's not like we just get better at everything every year. There are never any issues, and, and it's all just, you know, it's all just happy, happy, joy, joy. It doesn't work that way. When the big problem were the lifestyles of people, and uh, we went through a period of rapid industrialization, and the living and working conditions of the average worker shot up in the United States during that era, the 1800s, at the fastest rate it ever had, and still ever has, in human history. You know, people look at it and say, well, there was child labor, and, and it was unsafe, and, and we needed to unionize because of the low wages. And other than maybe the need to unionize, not saying you shouldn't have unions, but I don't know that there was a need to, to unionize. But other than that, you know, yeah, that's all true. There was child labor early in that period, and uh, wages were a lot lower than today. Living conditions in 1900 were not as good as they are today. That's all true. But they were a lot better in 1900 than they were in 1800. And I think when we look, when we try to compare 1900 to today to see, you know, does laissez-faire capitalism work or do we need almost a fascist state with so much regulation? And, and people like to look at it and say, well, we don't want to go back to that. Well, of course we don't want to go back to 1900. But the reason today is better than 1900 isn't because all of this regulation works. It's because we're standing on the shoulders of 1900. Everything that happened to get us to 1900, we are literally standing on the shoulders of. Everything that happened prior to 1960, everything that happened after is standing on the shoulders of. So, you know, we can't take one period and not look at the growth that occurred in other periods that made further growth possible. The fact of the matter is, you know, we should also ask ourselves, well, what if those growth rates had continued? How rich might we be today? But the growth rates didn't continue because we've regulated ourselves into the ground. But the EPA is not making pollution. It's not the same kind of a thing that it is with homelessness in California. But when I was a kid, you know, I can remember when the Detroit River was so polluted, uh, with so many chemicals floating on the surface, that the river would sometimes just spontaneously catch on fire. I didn't live in Detroit at the time, by the way. I lived in the, in the Kalamazoo area. Now I live in the Detroit area. But it was that bad. Uh, Lake Cal the Kalamazoo River in Kalamazoo was just as bad. It was absolutely infested with PCPs, and you could, and you could, uh, you could smell the river a mile away. It was disgusting how dirty the river was. Kalamazoo polluted by uh, paper mills, and or the Kalamazoo River that is, and the Detroit River uh, primarily by automotive. But these were ridiculously badly polluted rivers, and yet today, you know, I go and 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 on fishing expeditions and pull walleye out of the Detroit River. And out of Lake Erie, which wasn't much more, much better than the Detroit River. The Detroit River feeds into Lake Erie. So if Lake Erie is polluted, so too then is the Detroit River. But, you know, when I was a kid, nobody would have dreamed of eating fish out of Lake Erie or out of the Detroit River. And now I pull walleye out of the Detroit River and I pull them out of, of uh, Lake Erie every year. And I got to tell you, the walleye I'm pulling out of Lake Erie and out of the Detroit River, it's delicious. It has got to be the best fish I've ever had anywhere in the world. And I'm not even a fish eater. My wife likes fish, which is why I started fishing for it. Funny story there. I have a boat when I got married to my, my, my now wife. 
I told her I had a boat, but it was with a buddy on the other side of the state. Well, we eventually went to get it. She went to Poland because my wife was uh, from Poland. And I brought the boat back here while she was in Poland and began fishing. And she told me, well, when you go fishing, she came back and said, well, do we have fish? And I said, no, I didn't keep anything. She said, well, keep the fish. So I caught fish and I brought him in and I had a bunch of bluegill and some perch and every one of which was well bigger than my hand. I don't know what kind of fish she thought I was fishing for, but she said, these are like minnows. These are like bait fish. I thought you said you were bringing home fish. Well, I had like 20 wall or 20 perch and, and bluegill. And I, I went ahead and I said, I'll tell you what, let me cook these for you. So I, I flayed them all up and I fried them and I, I gave them to her. It was a lot of fish by the time I had it all filleted up. And I'll tell you what, she'd already had dinner and she sat there and ate every single one of those fillets all in one sitting. And yet even afterwards, she still said, I thought he was going fishing to catch fish. I don't know. I don't know what these are. So I don't know what her expectation was in terms of panfish. But uh, the point is that, that I, I, I catch fish in the Detroit River. I catch fish in Lake Erie. And when I was a kid, you would never have done that. So the notion that pollution is worse today than it was when I was a kid, that's absurd. No, the pollution has gotten much better in the United States over time. And it's always been better in the United States than it was in Europe. You know, free countries have always been much cleaner than, than communist countries. You know, there's a lake in, in, in Russia, I forget the name of the lake, but I believe it's the largest freshwater lake in the world, which means it's larger than Lake Superior. Lake Superior is pristine. The only problem with Lake Superior is that you can't swim in it because it's so cold. It never gets over 50 degrees, even by the shore. So you can't swim in Lake Superior. But the water quality, you can see deep in Lake Superior. It is pristine water. Russia killed that lake. There is nothing growing in it, and it's not getting better because Russia hasn't improved. Now, as, as people grow in wealth, they begin to take an interest in things like environmental concerns. But when people are poor and starving, they don't care about the environment. They care about food. So, you know, if you want to make the if you want to improve the environment, you have to improve people's lives so that the environment will get better also. And that's what happened here. And that's what happened in Europe is things have gotten better. But does the EPA ever say, well, I guess we can relax that restriction now? No. All the EPA ever says is, well, what can we restrict next? We, we fix the problem with coal emissions. Let's get rid of CO2. Let's get rid of something else. Let's make them shut down more plants. Let's make them shut down more refineries. Never mind we're getting oil cleaner than we ever did in the past. We have to shut down more stuff. We have to regulate more things. And we have to make it even harder for the people to live. What I wish I could get more young people to understand is that the nature of government, government doesn't exist so much to support the people as it exists to support itself. That's not to say that there aren't people in government that want to support the people, that want to help the people. As I said, I, I don't believe that those that are working to, to end homelessness or to, that, that are addressing homelessness in California, I don't believe they're all vile, evil people that want more people to be homeless. It's just the nature of government that they've created an industry. The industry wants to grow. Nature abhors a vacuum. And, and so it, it tends to make things worse rather than better. And the same thing is worse with every, or the same thing is true with everything that the government does. Because the nature of government is to support itself. And because the government has a monopoly in the legal use of force, the government doesn't really need to provide goods and services to, to survive. It doesn't need to improve our lives to survive. It doesn't need to give us things we want or to feed us or to clothe us or to make our lives better. 
All the government needs to do is to tax the people for, for the government's survival, and it can do that completely independently of the interests and desires of the public. So, you know, private companies paid by government are almost as bad as the government itself because they're only constrained by the threat of government contracting with a different company. But at least they have some kind of a constraint. I mean, granted, given that the government has every incentive to spend as much as it can on each contractor, it's not much of a constraint, but at least they have to worry about the government choosing somebody else. But the government doesn't have to, to help the people at all. It has no constraints. It can tax as much as it wants, as much as the public will let it at least, and, uh, and it does not really have any incentive to make things better. As a consequence, you know, if we solved homelessness in California, it would mean shuttering a massive industry and causing a big rise in unemployment. And there's no political will to fire a bunch of people. And as a consequence, California will spend more money every year working to make the problem worse rather than better. You know, the, the, end of the, 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 the truth is private companies collectively make you better off, and the government tends to do the opposite. So homelessness in California is here to stay. Not only will it never go away, but it will never get better. It will always get worse. So the next thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about this court case with E. Jean Carroll and Donald Trump. As you know, E. Jean Carroll sued Donald Trump. She's actually sued him twice now. The first time she got $5 million. The second time she got $85 million. Well, the critical question at the heart of the Trump defamation suits brought by E. Jean Carroll, and yes, I use plural because it's two, is that of whether or not Donald Trump actually raped her. Let's look at the evidence. G.D. Carroll, or E. Jean Carroll remembers the department store that she was supposedly raped in, but she does not remember the date that it occurred. She doesn't even remember the year that it occurred. Now, there's a photo that shows Trump greeting Carroll and her husband at the time from 1987, which is at least at least five years before the rape supposedly occurred. And she's got a two to three year window of when she believes that rape may have taken place. So 87 is at least five years before the start of that. And Trump's in the greeting line, and sure enough, it's at a charity event. Sure enough, uh, E. Jean Carroll and her husband at the time come through, and, and Trump shakes their hands. Picture of he's actually shaking her her husband's hand at the time in the photo. So he did meet her. Now, he said that he never met her. And uh, when he was shown the photo, I guess he came back and said, well, maybe I met her, but I certainly don't remember meeting her. You know, he says he meets a lot of people in those greeting lines at charity events and other things. And that's, if you've ever been to an event like that, well, they'll have a famous person out shaking people's hands. Part of, of the charity event is trying to get people to give money. And one of the things you can do to do that is get somebody who is, uh, I guess you would call them a benefactor for the charity, and they stand out and they shake hands and say, it's great to meet you. And, and then you come in and, and you're more apt to, to be generous. So yeah, Trump meets lots of people at events like that. There's no way he could ever remember them all. So his claim that that he does not remember meeting her at that charity event is is very, very believable. There's, there's no way Donald Trump could remember everybody. Now, E. Jean Carroll told two friends that Trump had sexually assaulted her. And she said that at some point before she wrote a book making the claim that he had raped her. But it wasn't right after or even anywhere near when it actually took place. She didn't tell anyone immediately after it took place that anything happened. And in fact, there are zero witnesses that anything ever happened at all. There's no physical evidence supporting any accusation against Trump. They can't prove that he did anything. 
Now, Trump hasn't denied, no, I've never been in that department store. And since he can't say, since since they can't say when it supposedly took place, you know, him saying, well, I wasn't there that day just doesn't work. He'd have to say, well, you've got to call it a three-year window. I was not in that department store at any time during those three years. He'd have to remember that to be true. And, and more importantly, he'd have to have some kind of proof that he wasn't there. So if there's any hole in his schedule, anywhere over that three-year window where he could have been there, you, know, he can't, you, you can't disprove a negative. If she says he was there on this day at this time, and that's what had happened, we might be able to look at Trump's schedule. We might be able to interview people who work for Trump, security detail personnel, for example. He's got his own private security, and he has to because, you know, that's the way it works when you're that rich and famous. So he's got a security detail. We might be able to ask them. Well, you can't do that because nobody's going to remember what he did when they were not there. And he doesn't have the same security people all the time. There's turnover, I'm sure, in employment. And, and there are different shifts. It's not going to be the same people every day. So, you know, it's impossible to disprove a negative. You, you have to know the date and time for him to be able to have any chance of defense against it at all. The only real compelling evidence that they have against Trump was his grab-them-by-the-you-know-what comment that he made as a joke to Billy Bush, which somehow was admitted into court as evidence in spite of the fact that has nothing to do with E. Jean Carroll and was not a boast about raping women, but a, a, it, was, it was a boast about how when you're as rich and famous as Trump is, they give you their consent. Uh, interestingly, Trump had a lot of evidence about how E. Jean Carroll was profiting from the claim through her book sales. Because she would never have sold, I shouldn't say she would never have sold any books I might get sued by, or she gets uh, very picky about such things. She would have sold many fewer books had she not made the allegation. It was that allegation that really drove the sales of those books. Uh, but I, I have no idea how that was ever allowed in court. Uh, Trump has evidence you know, on, on, on her making money that was not allowed in court. I have no idea how the Billy Bush evidence was not allowed. Now, it's, the whole thing here is, is just, it should be silly. If E. Jean Carroll, you know, if, if the claim is not true, if Trump did not rape E. Jean Carroll, then she, in fact, would be guilty of defamation. Uh, but you can't prove it didn't occur because she doesn't have any idea when it did. So, in fairness, the original trial did find Trump responsible for sexually assaulting her. Uh, interestingly, she did not claim she was raped until after the original trial. She only claimed sexual assault at least in court. Now she claims that Trump was found guilty of rape, which is not true. Guilt was never claimed. A jury only determined that it was more believable he did it than he didn't. And that was primarily based on the Billy Bush uh, tape, which had never been allowed in court at all. No, that was, uh, that was uh, what do they call it, where the jury is still, it was tainting to the jury. That's what they call it. And wh now, now, why does all this matter? Well, other than the obvious that between the two cases, juries have now awarded E. Jean Carroll over $90 million on the grounds of, of, of Trump publicly asserting that the rape never occurred. Uh, but we've had other cases against Trump that are such obvious political theater as to be laughable. What those cases are doing to our sense of justice, that's not laughable. You know, Democrats are quite literally flushing our justice system down the toilet to try to keep Trump from re-entering the White House. The cases themselves are an absolute mockery of our justice system. And why should we believe any case against Trump where there are so many clearly false ones? Let's not forget that there were over 100 rape charges filed in court against Trump between before the 2016 election. 
And uh, Hillary Clinton made full use of that in her campaign. Trump won anyway. As soon as the election was over, what happened to the cases? Every one of them was withdrawn without so much as uh, a hearing, without so much as evidence, without, you know, none of them actually saw the inside of a court. People filed cases against Trump so they could say, look at all of these cases. Hillary Clinton said, oh, 100 cases. And it, none of them were true. They were just put there so Hillary Clinton could talk about how many cases there were against him. We know those were bullshit. And, and, you know, it was such a long history of false rape allegations being made against conservatives trying to destroy their political career, going all the way back to Clarence Thomas. Why would we believe any of this stuff unless there's hard evidence in favor of it? You know, so it gets back to the question, did Donald Trump rape E. Jean Carroll? The answer is, I don't know. What I do know is that by claiming that it happened on some unspecified date that supposedly occurred over a two- or three-year window, E. Jean Carroll has made the claim impossible to disprove. If the claim were that it happened at such and such a time on a specific date, it would be easy to prove whether or not Trump was ever there. But with a two-year window, can any Trump security people say it never happened? No, all any of them can say is that they never saw anything like that themselves, and of course, they've all said that. Now, it's interesting that E. Jean Carroll could not find a former security person who witnessed it. He struck a security wherever he goes, and she couldn't find any store employees. No store employee witnessed it. E. Jean Carroll claims that the entire department had supposedly occurred and was empty at the time, other than Trump and herself. And she willingly went into the, into the dressing room with him. You know, the whole thing is just silly. And I'm not going to say that she's a liar because I can't prove she's a liar, and I don't have $90 million just laying around that I can pay her with, but I will say it sounds like bullshit. And she even went on Rachel Maddow's show and, and bragged about how she was going to spend it. Uh, you know, she, said, she said, you know, to Rachel Maddow, she said, do you want to have, uh, you want to have a penthouse? Cool, let's get you a penthouse. The whole thing's just, it looks like political theater, and while I can't prove that's the case, I certainly believe it is. And, uh, it just makes a mockery of everything, and it weakens all of the it weakens the cases of all of the women that truly were sexually assaulted, and it cheapens sexual assault as a crime in general. There is there is nothing good about all these false accusations. So you know I don't believe it. I don't think you should either. Uh, the final thing I want to talk about just briefly is this ongoing standoff at the border. Now nothing new has happened, and really that's what I want to talk about. You know Abbott said uh, Abbott was told by the by the by the courts that he that, that he had to allow. Uh, border Patrol, Federal Border Patrol, to take the razor wire down. Well, he said no. Uh, he was told by Biden, you've got 24 hours to take down the razor wire or to start taking down the razor wire, or at least to give Border Control access to uh, to uh, whatever park that is, Eagle something or another. And, uh, and he said no. So, uh, well, 24 hours expired, and not only did nothing happen, but all of a sudden, Joe Biden says he wants to do something about the border. Now, they're starting to move forward with this supposedly this supposed border control bill. Well, the problem with the border control bill is that it's not designed to stop illegal immigration. We have to understand that the World Economic Forum says that border security is not the security of the border, but the security of the people crossing it that we need open borders that anybody can cross, that everybody has a right to move to a wealthy nation and to get welfare in that nation, and that the spending in that bill is not to make it more difficult to cross, but to make it easier to do so. That bill would actually tell uh, the people who keep track of illegal immigration that the first 5,000 a year are free. 
You don't count the first five, I'm sorry, the first 5,000 a day are free. You don't count up to 5,000 a day. So 5,000, cool, the next 5,000 maybe you count. It, it's, it's the most ridiculous bill I've ever heard of or seen, and thank God the Republicans are not going to get behind it. Thank God it's not going to pass because it's a ridiculously bad bill. And the fact that my, the, the, the matter is Biden has shown he's not going to do anything to Abbott. So Abbott can just continue moving forward as he was. I hope every Republican governor supports him on that. So, you know, that's where we are, ladies and gentlemen. Border control is an absolute mess. Abbott's doing the right thing. We're never going to solve uh, the homelessness crisis going on uh, south uh, in, in California. It's only going to get worse, and it's only going to get worse because they've turned it into an industry, the addressing homelessness, that is. And, uh, it, of course, you know, if you have more news that is not news, that is not in the news, or if you have more obviously fake news, you know, right into the network. Uh, Malcolm will send it over to me. You may hear it on the next show. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Cutting Through the Chaos. I'm Wallace Garneau, and we'll see you next week.